The professional interests and personal priorities of our hosts result in regular child development coupled with educational and brain learning conversations. Join in as Dr. Larry Mercer and Michelle Charles bring their expertise before the microphone as part of an ongoing dialogue between this father and daughter duo on Let's Build Their Brain. It's hard to believe that for almost a year now, we've been sharing episodes on our Let's Build Their Brain podcast. We want you to join us as we take a listen back over some content from previous episodes. We also want to better know and better serve our listeners. So please take a moment to complete the survey that you will find in the show notes to help us get to know you better. It will also allow you to join our mailing list and receive two infographics from recent podcasts. Thank you for being a listener. Listen in with us to some information from I'm No Expert. this neat little deal that describes different parts of the brain you know like the amygdala for example is the uh, jumpy superhero that speaks to the emotional mm-hmm. part of the brain and uh, the uh, prefrontal cortex uh, in fact by the way this little visual I have is Amy Amy is the jumpy superhero mm-hmm. that's the super emotional part of the brain and then Tex uh, the prefrontal cortex the smart sheriff mm-hmm. and then Hippo aka Hippocampus the librarian is, of course, you know what we know about the brain of our previous conversation. The prefrontal cortex, it helps us make good choices, helps us pay attention and learn. Uh, the uh, hippocampus is the place that helps us remember and we restore our emotions. And the amygdala helps uh, keep us safe. That's where all of our emotions come from. But sometimes we have strong emotion that keeps us from thinking clearly. So helping the kids understand that those are really functional parts of the brain and they can be aware of those things and therefore be in control of those things. Wow, you came across some things that are new to me. That's pretty cool. But there are many individuals who have come up with great visuals and ideas that might be useful with little ones. I was thinking about the the flip your lid model. It's kind of a hand model to represent the brain, fists representing the thinking part before acting. But then when you have the open hand, you're more so driven by emotions. Also the upstairs, downstairs brain conversation, upstairs brain that you're using means you're ready to learn, you're calm. Downstairs brain means you're kind of in a survival mode and maybe acting before you think. Or just, I mean, there are countless ways, quick, searches on the internet can give you for explanations and age-appropriate fun engaging ways about the brain that we could share with the little ones we know and love i can imagine because i know this is true for me too i'm i'm no brain expert what if our listeners are thinking i'm no brain expert you know all that you rattled all that off how do you expect me to teach my little kid about the brain what would you say to that question i would say that there are just wealth of resources out there books articles youtube channel youtube uh, features that really explain very well how the brain works and i think that this is so important just like we take the time to learn about our car operations just like we take the time to learn about things in our house 
we certainly can invest the time to look at those YouTube videos, read those articles, read those books, because the brain is so essential, is so critical to develop your child's life. I would say, no, you. I'm not a brain expert. I'm a self-taught brain <laughs> okay. expert I, because I realize that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to understand what the creator was doing when he did that. But I would say, no, you do not have to be that expert. You just have to be curious okay. and willing to invest some time to learn. And I would challenge you to do that without guilt. I would encourage you to do that because it's a great opportunity to enhance your ability to care for your children. Wow. Any other thoughts on the value in teaching the little ones about their brain or any other things we should share with them before we go into our brain building blocks? I, I would say that this principle of flipping the lid uh, is not just for children. Mm. I would say that this could apply to us as adults. In fact, when I was preparing for our conversation, I thought about myself thinking, okay, Larry, uh, how well do you how well do you take give attention to when you flip your lid and bringing things under control? And I would say that what I would want our listeners to understand is that we can teach our kids how to, when they flip their lids, how to bring things under control. Join us as we listen back to some content from Subtle Screamers. What messages do we want scream to those little people that we love and care for? I love you. Um, one of the things I like saying to people and children in particular, that they're created on purpose, for purpose, that they're unique, that they're invaluable, that they're irreplaceable. Those, those messages are true because again, these are not just positive statements. They're like 7.5 billion people on the planet and there's, you've heard me say this before, no such yeah. thing as an identical fingerprint, no such thing as an identical ear, voice print, brainwave. We are very unique. We want children to understand their value and their significance by telling them those words that we deposit in their mind. And really what happens is when they get in a situation where they may be bullied, when they get in a situation where they weren't quite as successful as they thought they should be in a classroom, those words may be the difference those words may be the difference in that child's life or death. Take a listen to some information from Positives in Crisis, a part of our Thrive in Crisis series. The importance of experiences and positives in these challenging moments. First of all, it's important to understand that children and adults, for that matter, remember things that impact our emotions in a very significant way. Mm. Those experiences, both positive and negative, get stored in really different parts of the brain. And what happens literally is when we get things that cause us to be triggered by those things, we remember the positive and the negative. It's really, they get into a tug of war. The mm. negative things that happen in our stomach again and the positive things get in a tug of war for getting space on our memory. And, it's important to have those those positive experiences to counterbalance the sense of loss, the sense of sadness, the disruption of regular routine. So we need positive experiences in the life of a child to keep them balanced. What is the significance of having relationships beyond the four walls of your family, even in those moments of crisis? What's the role of relationships in brain development? Before I go to that, I must comment on 
you said earlier, because even as we sit here, when you talk about the Zoom calls, I really get okay. happy feelings sitting here thinking about sometimes eavesdropping on your with your with your mom's conversation with sisters. I mean, they really you can tell they love each other, they have fun together. It is so rewarding to hear their excitement and energy. And that was a that was a positive experience. And that positive experience that happened before, it's really causing me to have an emotional response, a very positive one now. So we can't we can't underscore enough the importance of, of maximizing the moments, enjoying the moments together as families during this pandemic and really seizing those opportunities. Well, uh, speaking of, of uh, relationships, uh, whether a person lives in isolation or not, uh, feeling a, a lack of social connectedness can be painful. Relationships are very, very important. And what I would say to you, there are certain things that relationships do. They improve mental health. Literally, spending time with family, especially face-to-face, uh, is really powerful in terms of helping. But also, really, relationships actually help children perform better academically. Wow. There's a relationship between academic performance and relationships. Uh, relationships lower the risk of behavioral problems. A lot of kids who feel socially isolated, who don't have connections, they end up getting in trouble more. Relationships build self-confidence. Having people... You know, your little man's very confident because we, we try to tell him how, how much we're proud of him. And sometimes I wonder, is he, is he too confident? <laughs> He's got those those supersonic shoes that he has. He, he really is convinced that he can beat me in every race imaginable. <laughs> uh, and, and so it helps them learn how to build relationships. So relationships are very, very critical. Uh, and it also, it teaches them conflict resolution. So there are a lot of things that can happen in those very valuable relationships we try to create a little man and we encourage others to do their families as well. Revisit with us from the Thrive in Crisis series, Thrive in Education. So how do we fight that fatigue for little people and adults alike? Well, we have to teach them how to use the technology properly. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is what research says is when we, when we look into a, a Zoom call, we have a tendency to stare at our own face. Mm. But what happens is we end up judging our face. We end up looking at our face in great detail. So teach children not to stare at their own face when they look, look at their friends. Secondly, one of the things that we often need to do is give them permission sometimes just to, I don't know if the teacher allows this, but to cut off the camera. From time to time, uh, give them permission to turn off the camera. And then one of the things is something called practice in the 20, 20, 20 rule. What's that you say? Every 20 minutes, look on away from your camera, focus on an object 20 feet away for 20 seconds. That gives a good mental, emotional break from the constant looking at the camera. Wow, I wish I'd had that and known that when I was responsible for teaching on the other side of the camera. Also think about seeing and hearing disappointment with the phrase, she hasn't called on me yet. How do we keep that eager learner from being discouraged from your perspective? I gave some of my ideas, but what would you say to keep that eager learner from getting too down and discouraged? Really interesting because it presents an opportunity, I believe, to help the child deal with disappointment. I think it's it's okay uh, to allow them to be disappointed in some respects because it's it's important for kids to learn how to deal with uncomfortable emotions uh, like disappointment and sadness in, in healthy ways. 
Uh, and that means part of the process is teaching children to have coping uh, strategies when they feel disappointed. Uh, you can't quite do this if it's a distraction to the class, but that's where having a child describe their emotion, label it. Are they able to describe their emotion? That's an important thing. And then uh, helping them do things that uh, that are, are healthy, like uh, coloring pictures or writing in a journal, uh, just to give them opportunities to express their emotion. And also, uh, another thing is teaching children that fairness is not always the same. Mm. Uh, so that a teacher may, uh, fairness does not mean equal. It may mean that that teacher realizes or recognizes that the other child who's making progress, um, I'd like to hear your, your comment on this because I know we may have different perspectives. I don't know. Uh, I can see by the look in your face. That, <laughs> but fairness uh, doesn't mean equal. I can agree. And helping, helping the child understand that. Now, if that gets to an excess, then there may need be some intervention on the part of the parent. I think on the part of the child is a great opportunity because if they go through this process, they learn coping skills, they learn to survive this feeling, it can make them really, really strong later in life. Talk talk to me about what, you, what you're thinking when you hear me say that. Well, I'll go back to first. I, I love the idea of it being in providing coping skills because virtually or in the classroom, not being called on. Someone taking the answer I wanted to say are all very real things that students need to know how to respond to. So that is definitely the case. But when you mentioned the the fairness and excess, I was thinking about, you know, also as a parent, you're there in the classroom. You can't do this, but this could be a chance to help your child learn. And maybe sometimes you have to be more involved in this, but maybe your child advocate for themselves. What would that look like? I mean, well, in the virtual setting, I'm thinking, I mean, could there be something happening? I know that we're using Zoom generically, Zoom specifically, but Google Meets, Teams, all kinds of different platforms. But sometimes you might have a series of, of screens or you have to arrow through where you can't see everybody. Now, in a respectful and appropriate way, could that mean using the chat? Could that mean using some kind of clicking an icon feature to raise your hand? Maybe even as a parent, if something is going on, but could that mean coming off mute for a second and making sure you speak up if maybe a screen is not visible or volume's not clear? So I think a, a strategic opportunity to help your child learn to advocate for themselves in a respectful manner but also thinking, wait, you know, let me let me maybe put into the chat, I would like to answer, or clicking a raise your hand icon, or even coming off mute saying, I wanted to make sure you see my screen, if something bizarre is happening, if that makes sense. You know, it's interesting because when you first asked that question, I thought about the reaction buttons, raising yes. hands. And really, if you teach your child how to use those tools, it also gives them an exceptional skill in using the technology available to them. Here, here, here's a situation. How do you handle it? That's creative problem solving. So I think that that's great. And then if the child does all that and the teacher still doesn't respond, I don't know. It may be an opportunity for the for the parent to raise questions if, if, if they feel like that's necessary. And I would be remiss, I think, to say, and please give the grace and benefit of the doubt in that from the teacher perspective, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything malicious is happening. Again, it could be there's a series of images to scroll through and they don't always scroll far enough, but definitely in a in a grace-filled way that you can address that in an appropriate manner with but the I do think, But I do think your point of how that can negatively impact the child 
if they're working hard, they're doing everything the teacher wants, and for some reason the teacher is not acknowledging that, that could be negative. That could be a, a sense of rejection with the child. So I think there's a, a delicate balance that parents have to strike and respond to that. And it makes me come back to, and I feel like I could I could harp on this for a while of if you're present throughout this experience, you'll notice and you'll you'll be able to figure out when you need to speak up and say something or encourage or to equip your child with those coping skills. If you're off in another room or if you're on a phone call completely disengaged, you won't pick up on those things where you can provide support for the one you love. You know, scientists have pinpointed more than 50 different types of smiles. Wow. 50 different types of smiles. But one that's very interesting is something called, I think I'm pronouncing this correct, a Duchenne smile. That's a smile that, a smile with your eyes. Yeah. Because okay. what happens is a smile, it's not, it, 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 it's a smile that's really when you're excited, when you enjoy seeing someone, that smile happens. And you actually can learn that Duchenne smile. And so what I would say is practicing, expressing the kind mm-hmm. of acceptance and affirmation that it's a full-throated smile. I, I, I thought about this. I, there are people I've seen them smile. I can tell they're they're smiling with their eyes. Yeah. So we could convey that kind of love by giving that Duchenne smile. I challenge you to look it up. Do okay. some research on the Duchenne smile for those who are listening and, and, and learn how to do that. It can be a powerful way to encourage your children and other people as well. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected with Let's Build Their Brain via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Let's Build Their Brain Pod and on Twitter at Build Their Brain. Thank you for checking back with us each Monday for a new episode. We hope you leave each podcast with practical and applicable suggestions to aid your endeavor of building the brains of the ones you love. Until next time, let's build their brain. Thank you.